everybody. It's your girl Pam with 2200 Taps. It is August 17th. I always put a date out there, but by the time people hear this, it's probably going to be months down the road or years down the road. But the reason I'm saying that is because we're still in this COVID crazy madness and we're still kicking through and, and pushing through all these podcasts and um, got some really cool guests lined up. And one in particular today, I actually had the pleasure of meeting when a couple weeks ago at Valor Ranch, when they needed some volunteers to go help, I, I met her and she is pretty kick-ass and I, I needed to have her on the show. And I am joined with my sister-in-arms. She's Marine. Her name is Carolyn Martin. It's Caroline. Did I misspell that or did I mispronounce that? No, it's Carolyn. Okay, cool. I didn't want you like kick my ass or anything. Carolyn. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I, I met Carolyn. We really hit it off. She's got some really cool things coming up. And I'm just thank you so much for being here. I'm just I'm really honored. I really and truly am honored that you're here today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on. Of course. You know, our mission is to help save lives, whatever that looks like. And your mission is very unique, and it lines up a lot with Valor Ranch's mission. And you have a passion for female veterans that are homeless. And we got to talk in about your story. I'm like, I need to have you on. So this is a blessing. And I can relate. I can identify because I was homeless there for like three weeks. But I mean, it still sleeping in my car and peeing in a cup and picking up a part-time job at a gym just so I could shower. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff there. And I just, I wanted to hear your story on why you have so much passion behind this. Although we've shared a little bit, but I really want to get the listeners an idea of who you are and how it all started for you. So um, you can take as far as far back as you want and go childhood, or we can go straight from when you joined the, the service. And guys, forgive me if I sound like I have a frog in my throat. I, uh, I've got chronic bronchitis, it seems. So I, uh, my voice is, sounds a little goofy today. But bear with us. Um, yeah, so if you could take us back to as far as you want, I'm all ears. So it's okay. all ears. Um, so I was originally born in Corsicana, Texas, which is the start of East Texas. And Literally, I'll take you all the way back. So as I was born out of wedlock, and at six months, my mother took me um, and to North Carolina. Um, coincidentally, or fortunately, or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, the my sister's father, who was best friends with my dad, promised my dad that he would make sure that I was okay, and then obviously end up having a child with my mom, and so it's my half-sister. But he did for about 10 years, I guess. He made sure I was okay. He followed us everywhere we went, even though they um, at some point divorced. And he always made, he, he just treated me like I was his. And I didn't know any different. Um, it wasn't until uh, we moved a lot uh, as far as back as I can remember. And I think total, I went to about seven or eight schools by the time I graduated. And it wasn't until my, we were in Jacksonville, Florida for some reason. And there was a domestic violence issue which I was exposed to a lot already. And I believe I was in the first or second grade that my mom was arrested um, hmm. for prostitution. And so they had to have somebody come get us. And he was in North Carolina. So he came to get us. He went to roll, enroll me in school and couldn't. And the reason why he couldn't is because he wasn't my dad. So I found out the hard way. Um, little did I know that on our trips back to Texas, though, 
when I was seeing what I thought were my cousins on that side, I was actually, my dad was actually there the whole time. And those were some of them in the mix were actually my real cousins. So even though I didn't know who they were, they got to see me. Um, oh. And so the, yeah, oh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, um, the child abuse, um, especially physically and emotionally got really bad. My mom has just always been very unstable, um, whether it was drugs or whatever she was into. And I definitely was exposed to a lot of dis- domestic violence. And then she was gone a lot. I never knew she was coming home. It mm. was just me and my younger sister, um, or my middle sister now, but she was my younger sister at the time. So about 11, 12 years old, I said, I'm done. Um, I've survived this long and I want to live with my dad in Texas. So my dad drove all the way up to North Carolina and packed what we could pack. And I went down there. Um, so I went from maybe not necessarily having a stable, I like it wasn't stable, but then I went from, um, at least having what I needed to, um, severe poverty. And I didn't care though, because what I wanted most was just somebody to love me. That wasn't going to hit me. Um, somebody that was going to be there and, and I knew I was going to eat that night and not figure out how to make something, um, which I became pretty proficient at rice and mixed vegetables with butter because that was about all I could figure out or eggs. So that went well for some time. It was not long after I'd been there. My grandparent, my paternal grandparents lived across the pasture and the five and a half acres that we had. And my grandfather, um, attempted to molest me and nothing happened, but I waited until the next day to speak up. And so the whole family involved my dad, I'll never forget my dad sitting there like chain smoking with his gun in front of him and everybody just telling him, just relax. We'll come to find out my, my grandfather had, uh, molested my aunts. Um, and this was, um, not something new to him or to Mm. the family. How old were you? So in, I was 13. I was 13. Oh, wow. And so, um, and then instead of him leaving, like he was supposed to, um, he acted like he was packing and then he, um, decided to commit suicide, um, by, uh, a gun. He shot himself in front of everybody. This is your grandpa? So, yes, it was my grandfather. Um, so I, then it was just shifting gears on and enduring that. Um, my stepmom did not like me. Um, she, I'm my father's only biological child, her girl, daughter, I'm sorry. And, you know, I mean, his, I mean, his baby girl that he never, you know, missed out all the t- all that time. And so here's a another girl or I don't know what it was. It definitely felt like a Cinderella situation. Um, I won't lie. Then, um, then I'm not even a year later. Another incident happened with my father and my step-siblings. And so I was removed from the house by CPS while the investigation was going on. In the midst of that, they had called my mom down and she attempted to take me back home. Uh, Then I ran away. And my older brother hid me in Burleson, Texas. Um, And I was about, I was 14 because it was towards the end of my eighth grade year. And um, then they eventually pretty much put me in the car and I had to go back. So I was in North Carolina, maybe a summer and we moved back down to Corsicana and I started and graduated high school in three years from Corsicana, Texas. The abuse only got worse. My mom had another baby. She didn't want, she didn't take care of the baby. Um, she was gone. She was still strung out on drugs. 
um, you know, domestic violence was this issue. We always had pit bulls growing up and I never, I just thought that we, you know, my parents were breeders or whatever stepdad was in the picture, but come to find out they were actually fighting dogs. And that's was like heartbreaking for us. So she just pretty much dumped this baby off of me at 16 years old. I moved in with my grandmother, trying to go to high school, finish high school work, my first job and figure out how to, you know, raise a, a baby because she wouldn't take care of her. So I, there was so much abuse. My mom tried to kill me twice and I decided that in order for me to survive, I was going to have to leave. So I made sure that I graduated early and, um, then I was like, well, how am I going to leave? And I was like, I saw an army commercial, <laughs> but when we went to the recruiting like area, I guess when they were all together, mm-hmm. um, my dad had said he would only sign for the Marine Corps, whether he was being sarcastic or not, I'll never know. But I also knew that the Marine Corps would not make me cut my hair off. And that was important to me. <laughs> I was very small detail. The only branch at that time that did not um, make females cut their hair. And then um, it was also the first recruiter that called me back. So I left and joined the Marine Corps. I was still 17 while I was in boot camp. I had the blessing of turning 18 in boot camp. And then my career started from there. Um, I am an aviation hydraulic structural mechanic which is also known as a 6072, which is now merged to 6073. Um, so my first school was in Pensacola, Florida. Then I went to Coronado Island. And then my first duty station was Japan. Um, I endured a lot of dealing with, you know, the male dominated branch to they begin with, that. especially the MOS. I was the only <clears throat> female in school. Hey, yes. And then I was yep. the only female in the whole maintenance department <laughs> Yep. while I was in Japan for almost a year. Well, so it was man. insane. But so, I loved it. I don't mean to cut you off. I just, I got to ask you some questions because you just dumped a shit ton all over us. <laughs> and there's some, there's some things that you hit on. <laughs> I just had some questions around. Um, yeah. You, because I think some of the listeners can identify with some of the stuff that you said when you were growing up. Uh I mean, just holy crap. I'm not, you guys, I'm trying to not swear. So my swear jar is already like tipped over. So I'm really trying not to swear here. But you said that your grandfather committed suicide in front of everybody. Did you see that? Yes. Okay. Okay. And I'll just leave it at that. We don't have to go into detail if we don't want, if you don't want to. Um, but then you said that your mother tried to kill you twice. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a delay, yeah. Um, what, can you just help us understand what the circumstances were around that? Like I said, you don't have to go into crazy detail if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Just kind of help us understand what that looked like. Because I don't, I have, a, I have a mom that I, she's my rock star, so I can't, I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some of my listeners might be able to. Yeah, so... I will never know actually if like if she has a mental health diagnosis because the drug abuse was so severe for so many years, you can't ethically or legally or even medically diagnose um, someone, you know, with today's what would be the DSM-5. So I don't know if it was like a manic episode at that time. Um, I wasn't, I just wasn't going to keep, she just pretty much used me to take care of my baby sister that was, you know, born when I was right before I turned 16. So it's 15 and a half year difference. And I wasn't going to do it anymore. And she got angry about something. Sometimes she made stuff up. She was, she's literally 
so manipulative. She can truly make anybody think that the sky's green or purple or pink. Mm -hmm. And so she just went off on this manic situation. My uh, maternal grandmother was there at the time. Of course, she had everybody full of that. I was like this horrible child. And by the way, I never, not once have I ever been in trouble. Literally, I've never been in trouble. Um, and so then she started throwing all my stuff out. I called the only friend I knew that like had a vehicle at the time. Um, and then she just attacked me and she just kept, um, she had pinned me up against the wall and just was going nuts and had me by my throat. I mean, my feet were on the ground. Every, you know, my, both my sisters are witnessing this. My grandmother's witnessing this with, they can't do anything. Um, she's pulled a, she had pulled a gun on me a few years before, and then she turned it on herself. And again, it just was one of the main things I really didn't know where it was coming from. And then once I did move out, because legally the police department had kind of helped guide me in what I could do is that if I graduated at 17, then I was done. Like nothing in Texas, you're adult and you can do your own thing. So she had like locked me out of the house or kicked me out of the house again because she, after she tried to kill me and she kicked me out, then she went and reported me as a runaway. And one of the JP, um, just like the precinct judges, made me come back to the house. So um, then, so I had left and they told me that I hadn't, I had not been evicted. So I still legally could go into the home no matter how I got into the home, whether, but, you know, try not to think. So I found a window that was open. I took all my belongings during the day while she was at work. I took them to somewhere else and hid them. I then come back into town and was picking up some coworkers because I was working at a good old Dickie's barbecue, which is the worst place yes. to work. <laughs> well, the barbecue is not the best. <clears throat> no, it smells like you smell so bad when you come home. Um, so, and then she, but she had found out where I was at cause we were just kind of waiting for our shifts to start. So we hadn't left yet. And she shows up with like this huge knife and I, I go inside. I'm like, oh, heck no. We lock the door. We start to call the police. But as soon as, you know, she's just like manic out there. I mean, she was like, come out here. You know, I'm, you're done. You're done. And then broad daylight, too. And then sliced all four of my tires. Um, so it was it was just never ending. And then even at work, the vehicle I had had been given to me by my maternal grandfather and so it was in my name paid for. It wasn't anything fancy. It was definitely a gold, old school, like 93 Toyota Camry mm. with like some gold spoke rims. <laughs> it was, but hey, it got me to and from and that's all that mattered. And she had literally come up to Dickie's barbecue too um, at some point and which caused me to lose my job because she continued to harass me up there. And she took off my license plates and like called the cops. And I'm like, what do I could do? it was it was crazy. So that's definitely how that worked with her. Wow. Well, I can see why you wanted to, to get out of there. I, oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I can totally see that. So let's get back to the fun stuff, but the not so fun stuff, because I think I know where you're going with this. I, uh, I've i been the only girl in an engineering department, so I get it. And um, I'm kind of curious yeah. to see how it was for you. So, um, I grew up pretty, I mean, I had to learn how to have thick skin and I, I grew up able to defend myself pretty well. So when I started to endure the cat calls and the drunkenness and A and C school, um, I handled it myself and I was like, y'all want to press charges, go for it. And, you know, but I typically didn't have to say anything because I just, I, I would get physical fights, um, because I wasn't going to let anything happen to me. Mm -hmm. Um, then when I got stationed in Japan, 
it was pretty good at first. I mean, I was nervous and I was obviously still so young. I was still only 18 by the time I was stationed. Um, but that first year of being in Japan, my staff in CYC at the time um, started pulling me into production control, which is just a small office and asking me like sexual questions about like just what I liked and sex toys. And honestly, I was naive to that stuff. So I'm like standing there like a frozen, just frozen. And other people witnessed this. And then it got to the point where he would be intoxicated and he would come to the barracks. So obviously it's logged in. He would blow up my little Japanese phone. Um, so I finally was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Cause I, when I didn't respond to him the way that he wanted, then my, my life became very miserable at work. It was, it was really bad. Yeah. So I finally said something, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to stand for this. And a lot of my, you know, fellow Marines saw it and supported me. And so they did, um, <clears throat> and then the maintenance chief had come down and, and told us, you know, Hey, these, this is what was found. This, is what's happening but then they didn't remove him from being my boss so that didn't help at all anyways he eventually did get removed and then the repercussions were bad he just kind of like poisoned the the pool of marines and it got flipped back on me and i started getting what we call today memes on my desk that were very provocative about female marines and i was harassed and no one would listen to me as a supervisor so um then i personally knew our the person who does our orders that cuts our orders. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, he, they had just coincidentally come out. I told him what was going on, what had happened. And he said, you'll be out of here in 30 days, which is the minimum, the fastest they can get us out of there. And is your detailer? I was out of there. And is your detailer? Um, pretty much, but I, for the life of me, cannot think what the Marine Corps calls. Yeah. Them. It's a little different jargon, but I, yeah, I'm following you. Definitely yeah. following you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why I'm going blank on that, but yeah, there's a one that cuts that decides where we go. <laughs> um, then I got stationed at Camp Pendleton. Um, I was married at the time. I did get married in 2009 to another ground support equipment Marine, and he had gotten stationed in Camp Pendleton at a training squadron. So ultimately, the Marine Corps keeps you together within a radius, and I got sent out to Camp Pendleton to the logistics squadron. And I was really excited to be able to work with females and just be back in the States and um with some of my peers that I actually went to school with that were, um, was, I was really close with and had kept, kept in touch with. Um, I got out there and was pretty successful. You know, I dealt with things here and there. Um, then I went to Afghanistan. Um, you know, that was okay. Um, some pretty traumatic stuff happened there. Um, and then I came back after the six months and I had hip surgery. Um, which was inevitable. I knew that was, was coming. My body definitely, my hip had had all it could take. When I went after, um, I had, so then also that was kind of the split of my marriage. I never saw my husband or my ex-husband again after I left for Afghanistan. So he ultimately chose partying and drugs after he got out and went back to Houston and I literally never saw him again. I've still never seen him again. Jeez. Um, I am really close with my ex-mother-in-law. She has been my mother and it's, it's a blessing, such a blessing to have her in my life. Um, her name's Bonita and she just, I really don't know what I would do without her. She's amazing. She's amazing. Um, so when I was going to physical therapy one day, my, Step into I see there at Camp Pendleton was having his retirement ceremony and I ride uh, motorcycles. I still ride sports bikes. 
And I went to leave to go to physical therapy and this bike pulls up behind me and I'm like, I don't recognize the bike. Um, the, um, I don't recognize the bike at all. And then, um, then they blocked me oh, in. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, our kiddo just came in guys and so, it, it, that's how it is, man. <laughs> it's, it's live and that's how it's going to be. What's up, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Say hi. Hi. So this is my, this is my youngest Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> He's four and going into pre-K. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't see him, but he is a cutie. <laughs> okay. Can you go out for a little bit? Take the dogs with you. Thank you. Puppies. Um, so I didn't recognize this motorcycle and I'm thinking, okay, you just blocked me in. And, um, I, I heard him say, look, who's looking good, Dixon. And I just remember my feet freezing. Like I remember just literally, I couldn't move. I, I, I could not move. I didn't see him yet or anything. I, my feet just felt like they were concrete. And then he took his helmet off and I just, I just didn't even know how to react. He had been promoted. Your old boss? He was the, yes, yes. So much for that, whatever it was. Um, and he had been promoted and he was over the staff in, or the squadron guns down at, at the Miramar air station. And um, yeah, he had been promoted and he was there for the retirement ceremony. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, guys. So there have been just time out. We we've had two Coast Guard rescue swimmers come out. One one's a female talked about sexual harassment, which I'm trying to get on the show. Fingers crossed. And another one, his wife got groped and it and there was a whole bunch of shit that happened and it wasn't good for either one of them. So you see this a lot and you hear this a lot. What you're saying about him getting promoted and all this other stuff, you know? Like, this is a prime example of the, the broken system that's there. For all of us. It's broken. Anyway, I had to put that out there because it's all over the place. Yes. Yes. And it's, thankfully, even though I feel like it's too late, but there, it's better now than ever. Um, I'm hoping that we'll see this this movement change and this act change um with with what's happened with our sister in arms vanessa um may she rest in peace yeah but he had been promoted and he had also been in trouble again again so i just i just moved forward with it yeah i just no um so i i got out um i did end up getting out completely it so I have 2012. So I, cause I'd done a five and a half year contract. I extended to, to be able to go to on deployment. Um, as soon as I got out, I went straight into cosmetology school. I have no idea. I was just like, let's do this. And I don't know. I just found my, if you, <laughs> you saw how bad the hair. Oh. Just, it was rough. <laughs> and then to see the transformation. Um, but the rain came out in me. I ended up being, the head of every club at the president of student council over 300 women. I ended up on the first one to ever graduate with, um, a hundred, like my average grade was a hundred, um, and on honors and Dean's list and then got my license and I got remarried to, um, my current husband, Trevor Martin, who was also in the Marine Corps. Um, 
he that he got stationed in or we got stationed in Rome, Michigan for recruiting. And then let's see. When I was up there, pretty much I was terrified to go to Michigan, but I ended up finding that my mom's side of the family, the older generations were up there. Um, and so that was really neat because they're from Malta. So I'm only the fourth generation to be born in America. Oh, wow. And I really thought that was cool um, because the generation that would be like my great grandpa's generation, mm-hmm. his siblings are still alive, some of them, and they speak Maltese. So oh, wow. and they're very, very. So um, I really it was really special to be able to meet them and and be a part of that because I didn't really know what like an intact loving family would be. So I loved it. (laughs) Um, so, um, I ended up finishing my undergrad in psychology. I graduated from uh, Catholic university, Sienna Heights. Then I also, uh, and, and yeah, so Sienna Heights, um, and then I had my daughter there in Monroe, Michigan, in the middle of the winter. Oh, wow. um, so let's see. Um, and then my husband got out of the Marine Corps um, while we were there. And so um, I'm trying to think. And then I was, unfortunately, fortunately, I got pregnant pretty immediately. My children are only 11 months apart. <laughs> so um, I have Irish twins. And a little man is <laughs> and right there so with we <laughs> yeah so i moved um we moved back to texas in the middle of me being pregnant with him and having an infant so um the um then i got down here and we were living with my in-laws for some time my i'm not it's just a coincidence that my in-laws happened to live in texas because my husband um entered in from tampa florida and he was an air force brat oh wow both of my in-laws actually were the equivalent of ground support equipment but in the air force so um they so they they just happen to live here in saginaw texas and i um it's it's been great to have them here awesome. um, yeah so the i'm so sorry you're right do you want to pa- do you want to pause we can pause yeah. let's pause. So I can. Yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah, guys. I mean, this is how this is. This is it. I mean, we're at home with kids and family, and if they come in, they come in, and that's just how it's going to be. So, little man went back outside, and she locked the door. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love my children. I do. I promise. <laughs> um, so we lived with them for a little bit, and then we bought our home here in Saginaw as well. And I started working for CPS as an investigator. At the same time, I was get, I got my master's in social work. I graduated early from UTA as well with that to kind of just expedite uh, a career change. And so currently I'm an adult probation officer. I am the veterans resource officer for my field unit and kind of like the most active one in the whole department. Um, I'm a liaison with the Veterans Treatment Court. That is something that Tarrant County the county we live in or I live in um, has to offer so that veterans get actual rehabilitation and and reduce the recidivism of them just being cycled through the criminal justice system. And our recidivism rate is very, very low. Mm-hmm. It's the lowest in Texas. Um, so it's nice wow. to see that. And then their charges are actually like expunged. They, they're dropped. They don't exist. Never happened. Hmm. If for some reason, yeah, but hmm. if for and so, I'm a liaison (laughs) for them um, so that they can see the other side. I go and talk to them about what I do, um, 
who I am. I provide resources because I can't wear like a dual hat as far as a mentor, Mm -hmm. but, um, I have gotten a lot of phone calls by sending out, like handing out my card that have, you know, different things they're looking for treatment, um, whatnot. I did personally get treatment while I was here from recovery resource council. I did EMDR, um, for those that don't know what that is, I always try to hate, I hate saying the word, but eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people are like, there's no way that works. It's not possible. But it does. It, it, it does. totally does. It does. It definitely feels like magic, but it does. And it it didn't just change my life. It 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 really saved my life. I had truly hit rock bottom trying to work for CPS 80 plus hours. The it's pretty much reliving my childhood by watching me not be able to help these children. Mm-hmm. And then I understood why CPS never really could do anything to help me. Um, hands are typically get tied really quick when that crosses over with between rights in the, in the Texas family code. So I did that. And then I was in my master's program full time and I had two infants and then I would come home and do what I had to do then. And then plus I was dealing with medical issues because I am a hundred percent permanent and totally um, disabled. I would be that way for the rest of my life, even though, look normal is what people say. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, our disabilities aren't always shown on yeah. the outside. So it really did change, change my life. I, a lot of it had to do with, um, I mean, I pretty much had told myself that if I just do it now, my children are so young that they'll be okay. And they don't deserve to have a mom with mental health issues, I don't think I could be a good mom because I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I mean, look what type of example I had. Mm-hmm. And so I really had hit rock bottom. Um, and I came across, um, I was invited to, to come to the Air Power Foundation board because I do have a service dog. He's one of the chocolate labs that I'm sure um, walked behind me. Um, and I got, I did all the certification training with Next Step Service Dogs out of San Diego, California. And when I came here, Judy Keene, who was at the time um, the grant writer for them, had received, they had received a grant from Air Power Foundation located here in Fort Worth. And she asked me as a recipient to just come with her. I was just supposed to stand there and be, you know, let them know, hey, I'm a recipient. This is what it's done for me. But then they asked me about my story. I told them my story. They asked me to come speak. I've been a public speaker ever since. I got sucked into it. But that hmm. very first time I spoke, the um, the CEO of recovery resource council had approached me and handed me his card. And I'm like, what am I going to call a CEO of recovery resource council? We use work with them and, um, CPS, but for like batter intervention prevention programs or substance abuse. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't either one of those. Um, but I can relate to what it's like because I was you know, exposed to it. Little did I know is they have a veterans program and it's free. You get 18 sessions. It's free for you. It's free for your spouse. They do child's play therapy down to the age of four. And they're not just anybody. They're not just any counselor, any psychologist. They are veterans. They're veteran spouses. They understand the lingo. So there's no like hoping when you're at the VA that this new, you know, counselor is going to understand what I'm saying. Mm. And they have no idea anything about the military recovery resource council, make sure that they provide that for you and the environment for those of us that are hypervigilant and have PTSD, it really gives you that calming environment because EMDR is very difficult to do. It's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And, and you end up in a very vulnerable state, but that's the place to be vulnerable. I felt so comfortable. I had a, I had a session, 
because I go to therapy. My therapist actually, she I had a session with EMDR, and the way that she she described it was like when you go through a traumatic event, your body just it doesn't know what to do with all this stuff, you know, meaning everything that you just saw, witnessed, heard, whatever. So with EMDR, correct me if I'm wrong. With EMDR, you you go back. You're in a safe place. You go back. And it's designed to help you actually compartmentalize everything to actually put it back into that compartment. So it's not floating around in your body. And, um, dude, I did one session and oh my God. Oh my God. With one. So it mm-hmm. is, I, I totally believe in it. Um, it. You're right. It's not easy. It is not easy. So uh, bravo, man. That's kudos to yeah. you. And it, man, that's, that's good stuff to hear. Yeah, I definitely could um, feel like I could go again and and just finish some of the things that are like here and there. But for the most part, um, it, it made me choose life, and that's that's mm. what's important to me today. And and you're right, it does help you compartmentalize. And I think everybody sees it different um, as well as or understands it different. But um, not trying to use like too big of um, like scientific terms, but the different compartments of our brain. Mm-hmm. We have the hippocampus and the amygdala. One holds trauma and one reacts to the trauma. That's our flight, fight or freeze. So what it's ultimately doing, and when people ask, I give them an example of the domestic violence, right? So when I was so used to that growing up that when people would yell, um, I would feel like a turtle going in my shell. So what they do is with the charts, how does that make you feel when somebody yells and you see that, you know, you, the trigger goes off and you see domestic, you, you feel domestic violence, even though that's not at all what's happening, right? Most of our triggers, you know, something loud goes off and we think bomb, we think something and it's just a trash can or um, a door slammed. So what happens is that you, you're processing being back in that situation. You do, you go back to that situation, you see it. I'm a very like, photographic person. So I see it and I put myself back into it and you have to endure that again. Um, so that's, for me, it was vulnerable. And I actually did the buzzers in the hands, not that, mm-hmm. um, causes the eye movement versus the eye movement. Cause I knew that, um, I was going to cry. I knew that was just going to be a part of it. Um, we're adults, we have feelings, we're human. Um, but by the end of it, you start out, this is how it makes me feel. And it literally, they'll pause you and ask you, how do you feel about that? And what happens is you're brain literally naturally takes you out of that and lets you know that you're safe and puts you at the end of that one little whatever topic you're focusing on by the end of it someone can yell and scream and everything and i'm just like what you what are you yelling for mm-hmm. um it truly just literally walks your your head back to it so you know it is difficult to go back into that but you're you start internally talking to yourself mm-hmm. when you're when you're pausing and, and reminding yourself that that's not gonna affect me. I'm safe now. Nobody's gonna hurt me. You know, yelling isn't tied to that. And so it's definitely really worth it. Um, I know it takes a big step to get there, but yeah, it is. Um, so after I did that and I was with Air Power Foundation, I just kind of continued to network and network. And then now I'm part of I don't know how many nonprofits, better <laughs> nonprofits. <laughs> um, I really just have a passion for giving back. Part of my internship I did at Union Gospel Mission here in Fort Worth, Texas, and that is a homeless shelter for well, almost everybody. They have intact families, single females with children, single males with children, and then single females and single males. Amazing program. It's great. But what I learned is that we do have transitional housing for male veterans and we don't for female veterans. 
um, a lot of over 60% of the places in the nation that will take in homeless female veterans will not take in their children or there's restrictions or there's, it's not safe because it's not built just for females. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the VA funding. So Mm -hmm. once I realized that, and then the, and then I realized the factors that contribute to a female becoming homeless, domestic violence, substance abuse, legal troubles, um, just, I mean, the abuse and, and being home, I mean, just all of it, there's a huge list. And I'm like, I know what that's like. Do I know what it's like to be homeless as a veteran with children? Absolutely not. But I know what it's like to endure those factors. And I also in the saw that sometimes it, it wasn't even those factors. It was also maybe they quit their job to take care of, a, you know, their mom or dad had cancer and then they never got back on their feet and they lost everything. Unequal benefits is another huge thing for us females, veterans, because whether people want to believe it or not, we do not have the same benefits. Um, there's not gender equal when it comes to our benefits. Military sexual trauma is rated at a whole different percentage than PTSD. Hmm. And it's ultimately the same. You know, you have PTSD from the trauma, whether it's sexual or physical or or it's war, it's hypervigilance. And so we're, we're seeing that a lot and, and hopefully uh, that's really starting to change. But when I found out about Final Salute Incorporated, that's when I really didn't, I'm all about research, which is why I have a master's in social work. Um, I could do research all day. <laughs> and so when I started to see the statistics, that's when I was hooked. I help veterans in all ways, shapes, forms you can imagine. But then this really hit home for me because I do know what it's like to be homeless and have a stable home. And I also know what it's like as a child. And it's not their fault and they deserve better. And our sisters in arms who have sacrificed, you know, so much for this country and served this country deserve better. And I wanted to be a part of that. So um, I told myself that if I could get involved and I could get more insight on it and maybe be in a position to make a bigger difference that I definitely would get involved with them. And I did at the same time with here locally, with Valor Ranch, um, you know, where I had the honor to meet you is, you know, that's also working with homeless female veterans. And that's so important to me to see that happen. Um, and I'm so excited for Valor Ranch. I think what they're doing for women is just, is great. Um, and just, I can only imagine how grateful those women are going to be and what it's going to do. It's going to change their lives and, and we need more of that. So yeah, we do. Otherwise, yeah, we 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 definitely do. I want to hit on some of uh, the nonprofits that you're you're affiliated with, but what I want to okay. do is kind of go back a little bit. Um, there's one in particular that I know helped save your life, like specifically saved your life. But I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, we talked about you know you were in a really dark place, and what what. When was that? What did that look like? And what was your ultimate, like, this has to happen or I'm done? Um, at, what was the time frame around that? Did you have the kid? You already had the kids, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I had had both children and Gabriel would have still been an infant or maybe one. So we're talking about 2016, hmm. probably 2017, um, around that time frame, because I, I mean, they were one was born in 2014, one was born in 2015. And so I remember him being able to at least walk, Mm -hmm. uh, or getting close to that. So, um, 
I just mentally was just exhausted. Um, I, I was depressed. I couldn't get help. I had tried, you know, through the VA, I had tried medications for years. I had was currently, you know, cycling through medications and I just was unstable. I don't even know how I was putting one foot in front of the other and somehow I was, but I was tired. And because I couldn't be fixed, I couldn't figure out how to fix myself. And I kept trying and trying. I just, I said, this is, I literally made that first speech talking about how my service dog helped the first time I went into a dark place. Cause it was just me and the dog, um, only to be standing there in front of everybody still completely with suicidal ideations. Um, it, it was dark for me. I literally couldn't stay awake or I was crying. Um, still trying to do my job, but I spend a lot of time in the bed. I found myself detaching from the kids and my husband, um, he's a great caretaker. He's an amazing person, but he didn't see it. It's almost like he wasn't able to even wrap his head around it or, I mean, it was almost like it wasn't happening. Um, and I never said anything. Um, and so for, for me, I was, I was literally just done. I had already, you know, walked myself through it and I was, had made a plan. And then even though I knew I was going to be speaking soon about it and, and literally like, I mean, my plan was there and I was ready to go through with it. Um, and that card was handed to me. And when he told me that there was something out there to me, that is what was a sign. Um, Taya Kyle, um, the widow of Chris Kyle, the most deadliest sniper, um, calls it divine intervention. She's mm -hmm. a very God-fearing woman. I am too, but I can't even be on that her level. <laughs> we are really good friends and I love her to death. And, and it's true. It definitely was divine intervention for Eric Niedemeyer to hand me that card that day. That's what changed my life. Um, and I can imagine not being here without out my children and giving them what they have today and seeing them grow into the children they are. Um, I definitely, I love them to death. I can't deal with my own attitude sometimes with my daughter, but, um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I truly, whatever higher power is spiritual that somebody want, whatever they believe in, not believe in um, internally that you're here for a reason. And I've been impacted by suicide and I know how bad it hurts to be, you know, experienced have to experience that and not have that person in your life anymore. Um, cause we've lost a lot of, um, just in my MOS, we're doing, a, a like a suicidal prevention reunion conference next weekend with the specific with ground support equipment Marines that I served with of all different generations as well coming in because we've lost 14 in two years just from our MOS. And so I went one day to look for a girl I served with, and she had committed suicide and none of us knew. Um, so she had overdosed on, on her pain pills and right before her son graduated high school. And so that's, so a lot of my movement was suicide prevention up until the homelessness, because I also believe that it probably, and this is just my assumption that it wouldn't take much for a homeless female veteran to get into that dark place when she can't provide for herself or her children. 
um, we can be strong, but then there comes a time that we just don't want to be strong anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was at. But the second that I did EMGR, I mean, it just, I literally live a whole new life the, the second my feet hit the floor and I found the passion to help other people. Social work was definitely what, where I went. You would have never guessed that's where I was going. Um, and it, and it does. I mean, my family is my children and my husband are everything to me, but I wake up every day and I, I tell myself, what am I going to do today to better somebody else's life? What can I do to help somebody else? Because that's what fulfills me. That's what gives me life. It was given to me and I'll forever continue to give back in that. You know, I was that, you know, what really hits me as you're saying that is I, I got a phone call today from a phone call. I called a friend cause she told me that uh, a veteran what, passed away last night and he had TBI. They didn't know the circumstances around it, but she, she and other people had a feeling that, <clears throat> excuse me, he could be one of the 22. I just, we, we don't know. And she's like, I've never, I've never experienced something like this where I've lost somebody this close. And I told her, and, it, and it's not to sound kind of, it's going to sound really bad, but it's not intended to. It's like when you lose somebody to that, it almost gives us credibility, like our story credibility yes. on why we're helping people. So mm -hmm. when you say, you know, you're in social work, which I think is amazing. I think that's just the coolest shit ever. You're, you know, in, in CPS, and if you look at this, you're in a field that your childhood kind of took you to. Like, you have mm -hmm. all this credibility because you have a story. And your story is going to give you that credibility. Not that you asked for it, but you have that credibility to pass it forward to another child, another parent, somebody who needs to hear that. Mm -hmm. So the connection's there. Right. I, I just think it's the, when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, you can't make this stuff up like this is the coolest. And it is a divine intervention. You know, when he handed you the card, you had to go through what you had to go through. But look where you're at now. Right. Yes. It's the coolest shit ever. Is <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> man. So thank you for sharing that. It's Absolutely. it's really, really cool. Now, we got about 15 minutes. We can cut it short. We can go a little over. But there are a couple of things I do want to hit on for sure. The nonprofit organizations that you have your toe in, there's like a ton of them. And yes. uh, I, uh, we have a lot of mutual friends, a lot of mutual friends. So the first one I want to talk about is Valor Ranch, um, which you brought up. And I'm on the yes. board. You know, I'm kind of in and out, but <laughs> I'm on the board. Um Carrie Ann and Josh, man, I've been around since before this thing was even a thought. And mm -hmm. it's the coolest thing ever. So how did y'all get how did y'all get connected? Um So I remember man, where I I remember somebody just talking about her. I don't I cannot for the life of me how like how it went back. And I maybe it was Rick Irving, which is a really well known veteran photographer on here. If there's a old glory around he's going to be there taking pictures and I don't think he sleeps. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he kind of told me about, <laughs> he told me about Carrie Ann and then just kind of what, you know, at that time she was a part of coin project, which I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then I actually got to meet her in person, which was almost like meeting a celebrity after I'd heard so much about her at the 
Texas Veterans Commission con- like annual conference that we had. Mm-hmm. And I just like soaked it up. And so then I just kept digging and learning for her and watching her. And then I got to see what she was doing. And I, I started to hear about Valor Ranch. And this was still something she was hoping to do. This was uh, before she had received the grant and, and different things. Um, and so then once I got to meet her, I just kind of followed her and, and, and kept up with her. To, I'm just waiting. It was waiting for my chance to be able to jump in and be a part of this. And, and of course, recently was the first time I really got to be a, you know, hands-on and a part of it. And it was just, just, um, again, like I could say, it was just amazing. Um, one, you get to turn around and meet amazing people again. And there's, to me, our paths always end up crossing for mm-hmm. a reason. Um, for example, one of the GSE Marines I served with, he shared um, something from, you know, my, a page and it helped with fundraising for something. And then his mom and his mom had donated. And so she was like, you know, I wish, I, I hope I get to meet you one day. Did, tell me I didn't find out today that it's Luella Cox. And she was there Saturday <laughs> when we were decorating the colleges. And I was like, we were there. She was mm-hmm. like, she literally said that on Friday. And then we were there at Valor Ranch on Saturday. And we had no idea until today. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that's yes. awesome. <laughs> so that's cool. It's definitely um, so you know getting out there and, and seeing her her mission and that and and what she wants to do and um, I think that's you know it's important uh, to give them and and Carrie has those resources all of her background and everything she's got the tools that she has underneath her belt are a hundred percent what anybody needs um, mm-hmm. for, as a veteran to to get what they need and so that's kind of how I got tied into Valor Ranch and she's also been a really good big or a really big supporter of mine in in my endeavors um around here too (laughs) yeah she's amazing that and her story is it's one hell of a story and I'm I'm trying to get her and Josh on together and that that should happen (laughs) soon sooner rather than later um Yeah. yeah but our guys our friends at Valor Ranch I mean let me put it this way. I was like, I was trying to find the ranch when I, the day I met you and I keep forgetting to put the damn address in my phone. And I'm like, hey, Carrie, what's the address again? Like, it's like a broken record. So finally I, I get there. I'm like, hey, you know, you don't have the address online. You know what she said? She said, you won't find it. I'm like, <laughs> really? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, why? And, and I'm, here I am on the board, right? But I'm, I'm at school. So I'm mostly at school, but I'm on the board. And, long story. Um, she's like, we need to make sure the female veterans are here are safe. Yeah. I was like, good to know, but can I at least have the address? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can get, we can get there. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, even with the address, I passed it like twice. Oh yeah. So. It's like, you have to connect with Valor Ranch if you want to know where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, and that's good. Cause they're definitely, it's definitely a very, very safe area. Oh yeah. Trust me. I'm, eyeball, I'm eyeballing the land next to it. That's for sale. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. We're looking at it. Oh, I'll move out there. I'll buy a tiny home and move out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what I said. We'll just buy the same home and live there. <laughs> Plus you guys, Valor Ranch, there's a lot of like, how do you like, it's like the, not the Beverly Hillbillies, but like the neighbors, <laughs> how do you like their neighbors? I think they think that you know, they're trying to like gear up for like the apocalypse and, and they're just like, what? Like this is some crazy stuff that happens out in the country. You guys get connected with Valor Ranch and you'll be, you'll be involved in all the funny madness that's going on out there sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a, a female that is part of um, 
something like I'm, I'm working on right now that's asked it should come down after the COVID pandemic because she wants, she wants to see Bella Ranch and nice. she's active duty up in Oklahoma city. And I was like, go ahead, come, come down on. here. So come on, sister. Yeah. Well, so that's Bella Ranch and guys, I'm going to put links to all the places that we're talking about tonight um, in the info. So make sure you click on that. Um, another one I want to talk about that not a lot of people know the Adaptive Training Foundation. Mm-hmm. The Adaptive Training Foundation in Carrollton, Texas. I actually start yes. my, my journey with, with them in a couple weeks. And okay. yeah, you're looking at me like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to end up in that box. Hell yeah. Um, so for, for my listeners, the Adaptive Training uh, Foundation was actually founded by a former professional football player. Uh, David Voboda? Help me out here. Close enough. I, you're about as good as I'm going to get to. <laughs> man, I really don't want to screw it up because he's going to kick my butt. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. I think it's David Voboda. Yeah. Oh, David Vibora. That was way off. <laughs> David Vibora. Uh, his, you know, it's funny. His idea for this gym was actually my idea like a few years ago. The concept a gym for disabled veterans they've got a physical therapist on site they've got a therapist on site they'll have a group powwow every now and then and guys Mm -hmm. when i say disabled veteran i'm not saying you know uh they might be disabled no like these guys and girls they are in wheelchairs they have prosthetics prosthetic legs and arms i saw one guy that didn't have any legs like all the way up to his hips and these guys are working out, they are fighting through their demons, and they are just blowing this out of the water. Mm-hmm. And it is so inspiring. Uh, Carrie Ann actually told me I needed to get connected with them, and I did. And thank God, because now I'm going to start my journey in a couple weeks. I can't wait. But how did you get connected with those guys? So I actually met them when I was with Air, oh, like at Air Power Foundation. We launch um, our big fundraiser, Skyball, every year, um, typically at Star Power, which is this huge, like, rich appliance place um, in the, in South Lake and then in Addison. And they come to all of the you know little events like that or big events, whichever you want to look at it, I guess, um, because they're actually a recipient of Air Power Foundation's grants nice. and. Air Power Foundation, legitimately, what what they do, like for Skyball, that's the biggest fundraiser of the year, and it brings in to an easy three million for that, you know, that one weekend of events. And from that money, literally, the only thing that happens to it is that places like Adaptive um, Training request a grant, and then they check twenty five thousand, fifteen thousand. And, and typically, um, as long as they keep applying and they can show that their statistics and everything that they've done, then they continue to um, continue to get grants. And so every year when I speak, typically somebody from adaptive training is there to speak um, about what they've done since the year prior. And each year it just gets better and better. I'm ready to see them expand because um, I think they can do it. Um, but the so that's how I got um, I got to know them. And what they did and when, and when like you said what you said disabled veterans there they are but you you wouldn't know it with and if your eyes were closed it's not i mean there is um a picture of one male that doesn't have any limbs at all and he's pulling a 
tractor tire or yeah, they're tractor tires and like, it's nothing. So the next time you think about hurting cause you're sweating a little bit cause you've walked too far, man, you'll end up in that box at adaptive training. And it's called like the pity me box, because if you start not being able to push yourself and you give up, they put you in the box. Wait, wait, <laughs> they will jump you in the box. Yeah. Oh, you'll shit. learn about the box. I'm good. <laughs> oh, well, I know a gym that has a puke wall. So, I mean, I guess it's the same thing. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. Yeah. It's That's more awesome. like, it's like a shit box. If you um, start giving up on yourself and you just start, you know, I can't do it. And you start whining, you end up in that box and you get to stand in that box and watch <clears throat> other people with this, you know, other, your, your brothers and sisters with way more of a disadvantage blowing it out of the water while you're sitting there pitying yourself. You'll stand in that box. Well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I'm going to make a commitment to myself to not be in that box. And if I am listeners, uh, I will just, I'm going to record my journey on this because this, this, uh, and I talked to the guys over there. I'm like, you know, after I'm done with my journey, I'd love to collaborate, team up something as 2200 taps to capture these stories. And they're like, oh yeah. Cause some of them are unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Fingers crossed. And uh, last but not least, one of the big ones that I think we all know, 22 kill. Yes. 20, <laughs> look at that smile. Yeah. <laughs> 22 kill, guys. And the name sounds off-putting to some, but it's one tribe, one fight. And uh, they're the not they're the nonprofit that created the 22 push-up challenge back in 2012, I believe. A group of Marines started it, and it, it took off. And that's how all this... It's still- Hmm? It's still cycling. Yeah, it yeah. still cycles. I, I know mm-hmm. uh, Chris Payne from Twenty Two Kill just challenged me. I'm like, all right, dude. So I got to get on it. So, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're really good friends of ours. Um, how did you connect with those guys over there? When I originally wanted to do this reunion, this I keep calling it a reunion because that's what we're ultimately doing is getting together. Mm-hmm. A Marine saw my. Uh, Rick Irving, our amazing photographer um, for the Metroplex, recorded me without my knowledge at speaking. One of the Marines saw it. They reached out and they, you know, said, hey, I can relate. Same things happened to me since I've gotten out. And I said, "Okay, well, what would help you? What, you know, what would, you know, help you in this situation? He's like getting together. Like, I feel isolated. I feel detached from everything that we used to have, that brotherhood, that camaraderie. And I said, "Okay, well, what about a reunion? Like a get together? So I thought maybe, you know, a couple of Marines, 10, 12, maybe there's a lot of ground support equipment Marines that I started with in Texas, probably enough to be a platoon. Um, and I didn't find that out until this. So I wanted this to be suicide. It ended up getting bigger than or suicide prevention. It got really big. And I was like, in order to make this clinical and really help with them, like, where do I go from there? And then I got um, introduced to um, Tempa. And then Tempa shifted me straight to Sarah Compton. Love them. So, yes. Mm, love <laughs> yes. them. Straight to Sarah Compton. I met then Sarah and I met up at Metroplex Marines, which is a whole different nonprofit. And we kind of collaborated and we've worked together ever since um, that whole thing. And I've done everything with 22 Kill. So they're actually going to be providing the clinical portion. Jake actually is going to be providing oh, the wow. clinical portion of the reunion. Um to to provide that and the packets and everything because yes it'll be a reunion it'll be us getting together but we're also going to provide them the resources and stuff they need because we've got marines flying in from all over the united states and um i'm really excited about it. that's how i got linked up with them in the midst of this i went to add sarah to facebook and 
I saw a mutual friend um, and I knew him as Gunny Kenrick in Afghanistan. He was aviation ordinance and they were short a man. And I went to go figure out how to load live bombs. And that's <laughs> the scariest thing ever, by the way, is terrifying. So I reached out to, you know, now retired first Sergeant Kendrick. And I was like, how do you know Sarah Compton? And he was like, her husband, Jonathan Compton, um, was my best friend. Oh, wow. And he said, matter of fact, mm -hmm. he said, matter of fact, so he went ground side and that's why he's a first sergeant. And obviously, um, Jonathan was a first sergeant too. And so he actually stayed with Jonathan, um, and Sarah the whole week. And the second that he went home, he's from Troop, Texas, out in East Texas over by Tyler, owns a phenomenal ranch out there himself. And he went home. And that night, um, Sarah's husband, Jonathan, committed suicide. And you talk about stuff that comes full circle, just comes full circle. And so, again, I'm now in the hands of somebody. Gunny Kenrick really took care of me in Afghanistan when the that part of the trauma that I'm just not in my life ready to 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 go through because that was probably the worst he took care of me and so then to know that this now i'm working with sarah somebody that you know is really close with him and again i just it coming full circle has been phenomenal and so uh, the last thing i got to do with 22 kill with all the pandemic is we walked six miles in the rain for memorial day and i just walked six miles with her and her daughters and her friends and soaking wet and did it for so you know again it's important for us to you know people to understand 22 kill but what we want to do is kill the number of 22 because yeah. that's still the statistic and it's still not changing and so 22 kill i think is going to be everything they do they are, are going to be they are going to be what changes the statistics i'm excited um and i left them for last because i do want to bring something up about them um you know, Dan and I have gotten close, Dan Lombardo. I love Tampa. I love Sarah. And um, I go to school at Media Tech Institute, which actually helped me launch this whole platform. The coolest school ever. Well, it turns out that 22 Kill is about four and a half miles away from the school, like their headquarters. Yeah. So we got a little something in the works where um, the veterans at the school are going to have an immediate resource to them. And the instructors at the school are going to be able to get some help from 22 Kill on how to handle veterans if we have a meltdown, if we just, if we're falling off the handle, because a good percentage of the school is veterans. So they've been able to come check out the school. Yeah, it's the coolest thing ever. That's me. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's really the coolest thing ever. Um, nothing's set in stone yet. Nothing's, you know, signed off contract. None of that stuff. We're not there yet. Um, mm -hmm. But I do know that the school and 22 Kill have a really cool relationship forming, and I am so excited to just be a little, a little part in that because I can't wait to see yeah. what they're going to do to help the veterans at the school. In addition to, you know, so I'm just, I'm so stoked for that, and we love those guys, uh, Tampa and Sarah. I actually want to get them on 2200 on the podcast. Uh, I already had Dan on the podcast in season two. Uh, our little DFW community is really cool. How we're all kind of yeah. intertwined. Yes, it's amazing. Gosh, it's amazing. It's really cool, and it's. Uh, I think was it was it Carrie Ann that said uh, Dallas Fort Worth has the highest percentage of veterans, um, in the state of Texas, or something like that. Yeah. 
Yes, that and they're also this have the majority of homeless female veterans. Yeah, so, but but what's comforting is to know that we've got people like you, people like Carrie Ann, our friends at 22 Kill, Adaptive Training Foundation. We have all our little people spread out mm-hmm. to, catch, to catch our sisters, to catch our brothers, to catch people that are hurting. And mm-hmm. to include yourself, don't let, don't leave yourself out of that. Me too. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm small, but I'm, I'm going to be mighty. That's my goal. Um, That's all that matters. <laughs> but I, I honestly can't do this without people like you guys coming on and sharing your stories. Um, and to be honest, I was a little uh, rusty in the beginning because you started s- s- putting it on me, sister. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I'm like, uh, so because uh, it's been a little while, but I, I really appreciate you being here. You have no idea. Um, so I, I think we're about we're all good. I just real quick before we wrap up, where can people find you? Because you got some really big stuff coming up that we didn't even talk about. And True. one of the things <laughs> is um, I'm going to just touch on it. Miss um, Veteran, Miss Veteran America. This little thing. So I know it's not a pageant. It's a competition. And then I know we can't really talk too much about it just yet. Uh, it's a little teaser. But if you could just kind of give us an idea of where you're at now, what's happening for you, where can people find you and support you? Okay. So, yes, I am a finalist for Miss Veteran America. Um, and Final Salute Incorporated is the who hosts that. And ultimately what we're doing is com- competing to be the advocate, the face of to support Final Salute Incorporated in their efforts to provide safe and suitable housing for female homeless female veterans and their children. So, as I'm competing, um, and there's more details online about that, um, I have a Twitter page that's required and a Facebook page that's required. And then I made my own Instagram because I like Instagram and I'm not really good at tweeting. So <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, give me some guidance. I'm all about it. But both my Twitter and my Facebook handle um, is you would just type in at Carolyn, K-A-R-A-L-Y-N-M for Martin, for M-V-A 2020. Um, I know it sounds kind of complimented, but they just first name last initial for NBA 2020. And then it's the same on Instagram, except I have it as Kara for NBA 2020, because I've always gone by Kara. Um, and so it's like a Kara Carolyn. I'll answer to either one, but those are the three ways that you can find me. Um, and of course, at any time, reach out and I'm willing to help no matter where you're at in the nation, the world I'm here. Well, I, um, thank you for being here and you guys, get ready, because I am going to try my hardest with Kara's help. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Maybe we can get, get Chris Kyle's wife on here. Yes, maybe we I can, will talk. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we could do like a little three-way, just a formal mm-hmm. introduction and just see where she's at today, you know? so mm, and, she's, very, she's very powerful. She's very inspiring, and I... Yeah, she's she's amazing, and so we'll work on it. <laughs> I'd I'd be honored, and you know what? If we can make it a live event, that would even be cooler. Somehow, <laughs> I don't know how COVID's going to well, react, but we'll figure it out. Well, she has a special take on COVID, but um, you're more than welcome to join us at the reunion. I will give you that information um, since it is you know uh, once it's closed, which we've closed um, registration for it. It's a safe environment. Uh, <laughs> So we've closed off the specific information, but she will be there speaking. So That's I will next be weekend. Yes. Oh, 
So Woo! if you're available, we'll do that introduction. Yes, I would. I will not miss this for the world. I think, <laughs> you know, this is a big opportunity for our little podcast, my listeners, for us to just kind of tell her that there's a safe place, you know, with our podcast for people to share their stories and just put it out there, man. You know, because mm-hmm. we're in 14 countries. My little podcast is in 14 little countries. Or little. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I couldn't have done it without the listeners, my guests. And uh, man, if we can lock her in, I'd, I'd be that'd be like the one of the highlights of my life. That would totally <laughs> of this little podcast's life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really appreciate you having me on. Um, it was it was great to be a part of this. Um, I'm so excited you. that we are past cross and that you invited me, me to be on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. And guys, if you enjoyed this episode, man, go check out the links. Like I said, they're all in the info. Um, I'm going to put links to them. Go go just go follow our girl Kara. And God, I'm almost like speechless because she just invited me to like one of the coolest events ever. <laughs> but no, seriously, guys, you know, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Um, get ready for season four. I don't even know if we're going to get to season four. We may just extend season three because this COVID thing is just going. So just just enjoy it, man. And um, hope you had fun. So we will talk to you later. Bye.